0: This is C-SPAN's Afterwards podcast.
1: Bloomberg News' Brad Stone reports on the growth and evolution of Amazon and profiles its founder, Jeff Bezos. His book is called Amazon Unbound.
0: I'm very excited to be here uh, to interview you today uh, for your new book, Amazon Unbound. Um, before we start, I just want to tell you, uh, when I first started covering Amazon about five years ago, uh, the first thing I did was to read your previous book about Amazon, the everything store uh, so for me it's uh it's a true honor to uh, get this opportunity and i'm I'm looking forward to it
1: thanks Eugene. Uh, you know people probably don't know this, but the the fraternity of uh, of reporters who cover Amazon is a small one, and we all kind of know each other. And you know you've you've just done a tremendous tremendous work uh, covering Amazon, and so it's just it's great to talk to someone who you know is is steeped in this secretive, bizarre, you know, highly productive
0: company uh, like Amazon. Thanks. Um, so I think the the first thing I'd like to ask is uh, just the timing of the book. You know, it it ended up becoming incredibly prescient, uh, you know, the perfect time to publish a new book about Amazon, uh, just given Jeff Bezos is stepping down in in a couple months. But can you kind of uh, tell us what was the catalyst or, you know, your thinking behind coming up with this book? Down. sure
1: and, and of course you know i did not time it uh, yeah. i did not have any idea that uh, jeff bezos would be would be leaving uh, as ceo of amazon in fact i started this book in it really in the beginning of 2018 and so the list of things um, you know that i didn't know about as long um, you know hq2 i think it maybe yeah i think it was just being announced and that played out in the early stages of my research you know jeff's personal saga his divorce from Mackenzie, the whole tabloid scrum over his personal life—you know—that all happened midway through my research, and then I was writing it during the pandemic. You know, this extraordinary time when, uh, you know, Amazon, already a very rapidly growing company, was basically given an injection of steroids and also moved into the center of this, you know, acrimonious debate over how it treats its workers and the and the safety of warehouse workers during the age of COVID nineteen. So it was all a surprise. The, the reason I wrote the book and decided to do another Amazon book, which, Eugene, I'm sure you can appreciate as, like, just being a total glutton for punishment, is because I was really proud of the Everything Store. And yet, it just occurred to me over the years that it was a sort of dated history. Well, it wasn't a dated history. It was part of the story, right? It was the beginning. It was the origin, the rise of, of Jeff Bezos, um, the origin of Amazon. And yet, it, ha- you know, then there was Alexa. And, and the growth of the, the transportation network and um, the, the explosion in the Amazon marketplace. And so much had happened. The $150 billion company had become the trillion-dollar company. Bezos was the wealthiest person in the world. And I realized there was a whole nother chapter to the
0: saga. Right. And um, I personally love the, the intro, the first scene of the book. It's kind of, um, it's like an opening scene of a movie. And um, basically it starts at this kind of celebrity packed event in 2019. Bezos is at the center of attention um, and it sets the tone for the entire book. What were you trying to capture or uh, what does that say about the, the period of Amazon you were trying to capture in this book? So the opening
1: anecdote of the book is Jeff Bezos being inducted into the Smithsonian's Portrait Gallery. This is the the, you know, sanctified hall of the most famous Americans throughout history. Frederick Douglass, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and Bezos along with uh, a half a dozen other other people like Lynn Manuel Miranda are being inducted. Their portraits are going to hang in the gallery. And you know, there he is uh, at the at the opening ceremony. His son Preston introduces him. Um, you know, he gives a speech. He's surrounded by the upper crust elite of uh, of American society, politicians, media, and um, you know, there were a number of things I really liked about it. One thing that he said in a speech is, you know, he commended the artist for for the portrait, which is quite severe. I don't know if you've seen it, Eugene, but it's, you know, he looks scary in, in, his, in his portrait. And he commends the artist for, for kind of portraying him, you know, scars and all. He says, you know, you can really, you know, I've, I, he says, I've, ga- I've, I've gathered a lot of scars in the last 20 years leading Amazon. And that's one thing the portrait shows, I think, you know, metaphorical scars. And so I like that because the book, you know, was going to be an account of, of his warts and all, you know, rise to power. And so to me, it really, um, you know, just uh, represented the, the
0: journey that I was going to hopefully take readers on. Yeah. So uh, if you had to sum up this period you, you wrote about, um, it's sort of like a sequel to your earlier book. Um, I think I saw your tweet about comparing this to Star Wars or this is the empire. This is the empire strikes back. (laughs) But but yes. So how is this Amazon or this new Jeff Bezos different from the one you wrote about in your first book?
1: He absolutely is different. And right, we you can there's a number of in a number of ways. You know, the first and most obvious is visibly he's a different guy, right? The 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 sort of awkward tech nerd from Seattle, always sort of unfashionable, the crazy laugh, um, very you know, the um the presentations that were incredibly esoteric and technical, like his introduction of the firephone. That's the Jeff Bezos of the Everything Store. And over the last five years, I mean, first of all, you know, kudos to to his physical trainer, right? Because you know that's quite an exercise regiment, um, and you know he's he's much more fashionable. I think you know it's it's it seems plausible that Lauren Sanchez, his partner, has you know boosted his fashion levels quite a bit. You know, he's got the sunglasses and the you know and and the crisp suits. Um, okay, so that's that's one dimension of change. Um, I think another is, you know, the everything store is the portrait of a quite a brutal CEO who who is very punishing, uh, you know, and, and sets high standards and kind of lashes out um, at, at underlings who don't meet a standard. It's very Steve Jobs like uh, management style. And I think he's evolved in that way as well. I mean, there are very, there are many fewer of those kinds of stories in Amazon Unbound. You know, there are some in that respect, maybe it's a little godfather two like, and that we're flashing back to Jeff tearing up documents and throwing them at employees and motivating them in that way. He's got a more delicate touch now. Um, the way, so and yet, you know, he still has the founder's magic, um, sets high bars, employees kind of scramble to answer his question mark emails and to satisfy him. Um, and then the other way is different, the last way I think he's he's significantly different, is that his focus has expanded so much. He was laser focused for so long on Amazon and building you know, this mechanism, this system of invention that could carry on. And now, and this and this is I think the territory that Amazon Unbound covers is, you know, his his purchase of the Washington Post, you know, his deeper involvement in Blue Origin, his his space company. His his philanthropy, obviously, his eyes have opened up to a much larger world, and I think that's a little bit behind his resignation as CEO. There's so much more that he's doing now. He's not just become the he's gone from being the iconic tech CEO of the of the Everything Store into
0: this global presence uh, of Amazon Unbound. Yeah, and also the the company itself, Amazon, that he's leading, the profile has completely changed from the first book to now, right? It's like this conglomerate that's in every business market you could imagine.
1: And one way, I think, to to really bring that home is when we think back to Amazon's battles with the book publishers and how trivial those seem now. Right. In the larger scheme of things, not that those are those are significant issues for the book industry. But Amazon was fighting with the book publishers over the nine ninety nine Kindle price and the availability of the number of eBooks in the Kindle store. And, you know, and it was stripping suppliers out of out of out of the search results if they weren't satisfying Amazon. And, And it was because the book business was so strategic. And this was 2011, 2012 and now you know the book business obviously still very representative of amazon and its and its image i think a lot of people probably still do think of amazon as a bookseller but it is a minor part of its business i mean this is a company that it truly is the everything store now you know it it one of its most important markets is no longer the kindle but alexa the the voice activated computer um it's it's you know investing billions of dollars in india it has glo- you know global ambitions and um you know, probably thinks more about Hollywood and TV shows and and movies in terms of important content than books.
0: Yeah. And um, while we're talking about Bezos's transformation, uh, what did other Amazon executives think about it? I think in your book, you say some senior leaders were happy about the increased autonomy independence, while some people were disappointed because you know, Bezos basically failed to meet his own high standards by becoming fodder for tabloid. Are we
1: okay? <laughs> well, we're right? talking about the tabloid, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, we can
1: we can both kind of acknowledge how difficult it is, right, to get Amazon executives to talk, particularly on the record, right, about their boss. It, it's a sort of radioact- radioactive topic. Um, you know, I think you know fortunately like this was a long term project and um it was you know the elephant in the in the room that maybe needed to be addressed i think if you're if you're asking like how did they respond to the tabloid scandals of of late 2018 early 2019 with with i think like like probably both of us with utter astonishment like how could the world's smartest and most disciplined man be part of this, get caught up in this. The National Enquirer, right, a tabloid, you know, that hasn't really been relevant for many years, um, splashing his personal life, the personal life of an intensely private person, you know, on on its pages. And and then Jeff responding with that famous blog post on Medium, accusing the Enquirer of having political motives and maybe a little bit of international intrigue, saying the Saudi example was still to be better understood. Amazon executives and employees were absolutely astonished. And def- I definitely heard disappointment from many quarters, you know, that he allowed himself to, to be subjected to this. But I think we have to acknowledge that that Bezos played it masterfully, right? The Medium post, and we can get into, you know, whether, whether his accusations of of political intrigue were true, but it swung sympathies to his side and I think that despite the disappointment, a lot of folks at Amazon and around Amazon had to sort of grudgingly acknowledge that once again, Jeff had won, like he outmaneuvered his enemies. And now we look back and we say, yeah, that was a really bizarre episode. But it's it's pretty much in the past. And Bezos, as usual, came out on top.
0: Yeah. Did you uh, talk to Bezos or uh, Mackenzie Scott, his ex-wife, or, or maybe I think you mentioned like you talked to 300 or 400 400- Amazon executives, right. but uh, can you tell us a little bit about your report? Sure, sure. Um, and here,
1: well, first of all, Eugene, you probably remember um, that when the Everything Store came out, uh, uh, Mackenzie, uh, then Mackenzie Bezos, gave me a one-star review, and and you know, I, I sort of bragged that it was the most famous book review, you know, ever. It, was, it certainly sort of up there, um, but what it reflected was that they didn't they didn't like the first book. Um, they thought it was. Um, you know, there, there were a number of they, they had a number of problems with it. And, you know, I wasn't going for a sycophantic portrait, but, you know, a, an, an honest picture of a of a of a company that was challenging to work for and to work with, but had nevertheless risen to be very powerful in our society. So I had to get past some of the some of the memory from the first book. In the end, Amazon did cooperate. They authorized a couple of dozen interviews with top executives like, like Andy Jassy and, uh, and Jeff Wilkie and Dave Clark, uh, who is now the CEO of the consumer business after Jeff Wilkie retired. Uh, Bezos would not talk to me. And Mackenzie Scott, as far as I can tell, um, has done one interview um, with Vogue magazine years and years ago tied to a book launch, but is you know tends to be an intensely
0: private person who has so far avoided the media spotlight. Got it. Um so uh, maybe we can uh, start with the first chapter of the book. Um, you know, I think it, 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 there's a lot of great anecdotes about Bezos's role in coming up with Alexa and the Echo. Um, and I think <clears throat> the common thread is that Bezos uh, set the bar really high. He um, pushed the team to aim for almost irrational goals, right? Um, I think one quote I remember is you guys aren't serious about making this product. Um, and he walks, impor- out. And he right, walks right. out of the room. <laughs> so um, how important was Bezos for coming up with this device that, you know, arguably the most successful personal device that Amazon came up with? Sure.
1: You know, we're, we're probably going to talk about Amazon as, as a potential monopolist, as a, as a, you know, as a, a, a dominating force in American business. So I don't mind. And this is why I start the book off this way, you know, giving Amazon credit and Jeff Bezos credit as an innovative company and Bezos as an inventor. And that's how he likes to describe himself as an inventor. And when I dug into the history of Alexa, it was surprising because the real story had not been told. And essentially. The idea for Alexa springs out of, right out of Jeff's mind in an email in late 2010. He sends a, he sends a note to Greg Hart, who's his technical assistant at the time, kind of the chief of staff, um, Ian Freed, uh, Steve Kessel, a couple of executives. And he says, why don't we build a $20 computer whose brains are in the cloud that, use, that uses AWS, which is com- completely controlled by your voice? And that was a really kind of radical notion. This idea that um, you know most speech recognition systems at that time you spoke right into, okay, that makes it really easy. So speaking to a device across the room was going to be a technical challenge. And then there's the, the just the the challenge of um, you know having it understand you and re- and respond. That required an advance in artificial intelligence. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but Bezos was doing a couple of things. One, he was looking for ways to exploit Amazon's early lead in, in Amazon Web Services. Um, and he was, you know, he was looking for ways to kind of, you know, move Amazon into everyday use in people's lives. So to answer your question, he he conceives the project. He puts Greg Hart, as chief of staff, in charge of it. And then he's the Uber product manager. That's, that's kind of what they call him. He, he drives the vision. He meets with the team sometimes several times a week. He picks Alexa's voice. Um, he he makes decisions about what features it should have. He wrestles with the team about whether Alexa's going to basically just do practical stuff like playing music. He wants it to be the Star Trek computer, kind of a versatile artificial intelligence. And then, yeah, he sets the bar high. First, he says he wants it to launch in six, six months, which is impossible. It takes three years. But he constantly drives the team. He authorizes probably the, the biggest uh, – impact he had he he's willing to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on it at one point he says to greg hart hire all the the ai folks that you can there shouldn't be any limit you know, like he gives him carte blanche to go and hire any smart ai or speech person who's available on the market and, and when the ceo is behind something like that particularly the founder you know that's a that gives in
0: any company that's going to give a project a lot of momentum Yeah. Um, And uh, with uh, Bezos's role as this, you know, key product manager, I think you raise a really interesting point in your book that that also creates this culture of fear where people are too afraid to, you know, argue against or bring up different ideas or, you know, say it's not a good idea against Bezos. Um, Is that like, did that affect, you know, Alexa's product roadmap or results in any way, or, you know, right. any thoughts on and, that? And, well, I, I think that the big illustration of that is
1: the firephone, right? That that was another idea. And I nestled the firephone story in the Alexa chapter. Um, and, you know, Jeff had this idea that you could have a 3D screen and a, and a premium handset and differentiate from the iPhone and, Nobody on the team thought it was a good idea. In fact, they, they had dog tags made that said disagree and commit, a kind of Amazon saying, which stood for like, you know, we've got to do this, but we don't agree with the the product roadmap. And, you know, and it didn't seem like anybody really stood up to Jeff's vision. To answer your question, in terms of Alexa, sure, there were features that launched with, with the original Echo, um, you know, there's too obscure even to name, but they launched because Jeff wanted it. But, you know, to, to probably broadly say no one's willing to stand up to him, I, I don't think it's right. I think they, there are good contentious discussions in some of these product meetings. But I think that, he, you know, he's, uh, he's the founder. He's got an incredible record of success. And yeah. that come, brings a lot of credibility. And, you know, if, if sometimes if people disagree, if he
0: insists, it's probably going to happen. Yeah. Um, and looking back at Bezos' track record as a product manager, there's only a few, like a handful of, you know, big projects that he was, I think, directly engaged in, right? The the Fire Phone, Alexa, maybe Amazon Go, the studios, but, you know, there's sort of a mixed record so far. What's what's his legacy as a product manager? Do you think he's still like a Steve Jobs type of visionary or, you know? Without a doubt. I mean, no one's
1: batting average is going to be a thousand. And when you think about you know, the, he, he has remade a number of industries and, it, you know, it's not, it's not just e-commerce, but it's enterprise complete computing and, and AWS As he had some of the original insights for that. And then you look at the Kindle, a, a vision and a product he drove, it really changed book selling and now Alexa and, and in ushering in the age of voice computing, I think the jury is still out on, on, you know, long-term how successful Alexa could be. Um, but it certainly has, has, you know, inspired a lot of competitive competing products um, yeah, I think that he it's an extraordinary record of, of success. And, and we can talk about, you know, some of the downsides because there were a lot of things that Jeff created or helped to create like the Amazon marketplace that got to a certain size. And then instead of being the Uber product manager, he took a step back and he said, you guys manage this independently. It's really profitable. It's doing great. I don't want to be that involved anymore. And, and it veers off course and ends up, you know, impacting and, and potentially hurting a lot of people. So but, you know, I think the overall record as an inventor is startling. And it's not just that at Amazon, the turnaround at The Washington Post has been amazing as well.
0: Interesting. And um, so I think it's a maybe a good time to talk about uh, him stepping down and, you know, maybe AWS and his successor, uh, Andy Jassy. uh, Maybe you can explain a little bit about who Jassy is uh, why AWS is so important to Amazon for for the past 10 years. Um, yeah, so.
1: Right. Well, a lot of people, you know, over the years, when we when we had the discussion about uh, who, who might be Bezos' successor, you know, first we said, well, Jeff Bezos will be CEO forever. Uh, but if we really need to go through the exercise, it's either going to be Andy Jassy or Jeff Wilkie. And both of those guys, and you know, unfortunately, a lot of the senior leadership up until recently has been very male at Amazon. But both of those guys joined at the late in the late '90s and helped Bezos to kind of steer Amazon through the dot-com bust and really build it into what it is today. Uh, Jeff Wilkie ran the consumer business, and he actually retired uh, last year. And Andy Jassy was the the shadow, the chief of staff uh, early on in in Amazon's uh, um, lifespan. And he then took over this idea for AWS or cloud computing. Now, as some people might remember, and it's kind of a relic of of the past, Amazon for a long time was a very unprofitable company right it kind of lost money and investors had a lot of patience uh, for for that um, but aws was always the sparkling gem in the portfolio because the the operating margins and and the net income was was high and this is cloud computing you know it's a little difficult to understand to the layperson but you, you think the company that used to have a data center in the back walled off humming with air conditioning servers there sitting there blinking no longer has that. They Their computing power is on the internet in Amazon's data centers or Google's or Microsoft. That is cloud computing. Bezos, with Jassy's help, conceived that in the early 2000s. And it's a huge business now, $50 billion run rate annually. And Jassy, with a lot of independence uh, from Bezos, has steered that. And so it's been a remarkable success, a profit engine for Amazon. And Jeff is now basically uh, handing the company over to him. Now, a couple of things to note. Is Jeff is executive chairman. So he he plans to remain involved. He says he wants to focus on, on new things. Um, you know, for Jassy, it'll be he, he's focused on AWS, it'll be a homecoming to the other parts of the business, the, the consumer parts. But my, my sense is that you know what was pivotal was last year that um, Eugene, you probably remember the um, the hearing in the House Antitrust Committee where Bezos and Tim Cook and Mark Zuckerberg were required to testify and the whole thing was a political circus and Republicans were asking about uh, suppression of GOP voices and Democrats were asking about antitrust and Bezos sat there gamely from Seattle in, a, in his office and my sense is probably thought, why am I spending my time on this? So Andy, Andy Jassy will be in that hot seat now. He'll have to answer the hard questions and Jeff will get to do what he, what he likes to do, which is work on new, new things.
0: Yeah. Um, and uh, since you mentioned Jeff Wolkey, who's basically you know kind of Jeff's counterpart or you know the other right-hand man for Bezos, it felt like in your book uh, he was less featured compared to other executives. Um, was that intentional or just a result of your reporting? And any thoughts on his the timing of his retirement, which kind of coincided with this whole right. transition?
1: It wasn't intentional. I mean, I think he's more featured in the Everything Store um, because he was the guy who really figured out how to make the warehouses work. Um, and then he, he graduates and is the head of the consumer business. Um, you know, he's he's certainly in there quite quite a bit. Um, but you're right. There's more of a focus on some of the up and coming executives like Dave Clark, who was Wilkie's uh, protege and who is now running the consumer business, or or uh, Doug Harrington, who really was a major force in the Amazon's emergence as a, as a, as a grocer. Um, You know, Wilkie told Bezos he wanted to step aside in early uh, 2020 and then the pandemic hit and, and, and Jeff Wilkie, they all call him jaw, said he would stick around to help navigate Amazon through it. He says that he did not know that Bezos was planning to step aside and anoint Andy Jassy as his successor. So maybe he's being disingenuous and saw the writing on the wall and thought, okay, you know, I've lost some sort of political battle. My time here is done. I have no evidence for that. He just says, um, you know, his, his time at Amazon was done. You know, we, we, I think we can acknowledge, though, and actually, Eugene, you wrote a really good story about this uh, in Business Insider, that the the turnover – well, Amazon's always been somewhat known for having high turnover, um, the the velocity of people moving into and out of the fulfillment centers and the lower ranks of the company is is extreme for tech companies. They've always said that in the in the upper echelons that the loyalty is extreme and people stick around. And that has changed. You know more people are are leaving. I heard a joke uh, that it was the people are calling it the the Jexit because so many Je- people named Jeff have left, not just Bezos and Wilkie, but Blackburn uh, as well. Jeff Blackburn, another senior executive. And whether that's because the stock price has gone up so high and they are enormously wealthy, or is it that they they see that this has become a big and somewhat unmanageable company and the bureaucracy is severe, or and I'm you know I'm uh, this is a hypothetical were they disappointed in the tabloid media scrum of 2019 and they lost a little bit of faith, I don't know, but we 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 have to acknowledge that. Yeah, you know, the the, the old timers at Amazon are largely moving aside, and that will be a challenge for the company because they're you know it's a difficult, weird, idiosyncratic company to navigate, and there are a lot of newcomers now in positions of influence, and so that'll be interesting.
0: Yeah, and uh, one of the key figures in that transition is uh, obviously Dave Clark, the new uh, retail CEO who replaced Jeff Wilke. Um, This year, and uh, you get into him a lot in the book. Um, um, How would you describe him like it it kind of comes off as he's, uh, you know, fiercely competitive, uh, not afraid to throw people under the bus, you know, Um, best man at his wedding got demoted by so well. that's right. That's right. And right. You know, I, someone mentioned to
1: me that they thought it wasn't a very flattering portrait of of Dave Clark. And I, I sort of objected to that because at, at its heart, it's a story of a guy who took a warehouse network of a couple of dozen fulfillment centers and t- which today, so, so sorry, we should step back and say Dave Clark for a long time ran Amazon operations, right? That are, that's the fulfillment centers, the distribution centers, the vans that are driving our streets, the airplanes with prime air emblazoned on the side. Everything that moves packages from A to B to your front door was overseen by Dave Clark. And when he took the job, he's been at Amazon forever. But when he took the job in 2012, there were a couple of dozen buildings. And now there are hundreds. The whole transportation thing is happening under his watch. He, he, he helped to build it. Airplanes, The success has been remarkable. So, in in a sense, that chapter is asks the question: you know, what who who you know who who's capable of building something like this, and what are the costs accrued along the way? And certainly, you know, one cost is he you know he when it came to personal relationships, the work was more important, and he had a long time a friend, and I write about this in the book. uh, Another Amazon executive named Arthur Valdez, who was his originally his boss best man at his wedding. And when Valdez, you know, ultimately went to target, you know, Dave, Dave never talked to him again. Right. And which is, you know, for a lot of us is remarkable, but it shows how, how, I guess, how seriously, you know, they take these rivalries, you know, and then another aspect I think is that they built in a very tech company way. We hear about Facebook move fast and break things, right? Well, you know, Amazon's in the physical world and they built this transportation capability, very much like with a FedEx or DHL model, they said we're not going to employ these drivers. We're going to hire contractors. Um, you know, we'll put them in an Amazon van, but we don't manage them because, God forbid, you know, we don't we don't want that headache or any of the union, uh, you know, troubles that might accompany it. And what happened, you know, over the next couple of years is, you know, there were stories of packages flying into gardens and you know drivers. Um, uh, bespoiling people's front yards, and and in some cases much worse accidents and and even deaths. And you know, I write about that. And um, that was the that was the at least the temporary impact of moving fast and building this transportation capability. Amazon had strategic reasons to do it. They could no longer count on on the postal service or UPS, but they moved very quickly. And it was a little bit of a troubled rollout. Um, you know, they've there's been a lot of litigation, and and they've had to pay some settlements as a, as a result of this. But you you look uh, today and, you know, Amazon's delivering 70% of its own packages and, and Dave Clark is promoted and is running now uh, all of Amazon retail. So it's really a remarkable story of, of innovation um, and the, the mastery of operations, but in some sense, the true cost when tech companies really move quickly without a lot of caution or appreciation
0: for what some of the unanticipated consequences might be. Yeah, and with Clark, um, it seems like he has a bit of a uh, different reputation compared to Jassy or Jeff Wilkie, who are almost universally liked or respected. Uh, Clark has more of a track record of, you know, even creating enemies along the way. Uh, I think he calls himself the simplifier in your book. Um, There's some people who I think his nickname was the sniper for you know, firing people, but um, what's his reputation like? You know, is it going to work well in, in this new role? Or
1: well, I mean, I, one thing that you know people could look at is his Twitter stream because he is the unusual Amazon CEO who will get out there and start trading blows with people, and he's got this ongoing thing about Fred Smith, the CEO of FedEx, and he takes shot at, at him. Um, you know, tends to tends to critique coverage of amazon i don't know eugene have you ever been the subject of a dave clark uh, tweet he'll get <laughs> there yeah he'll start throwing elbows um and you know he's he's sort of like maybe even refreshingly kind of combative because most amazon executives will probably just you know say that stuff quietly and you know he says what he, he believes um i think you know the reputation even among and i talked to a, you know a ton of amazon operations folks in in putting together my portrait and even people that felt, you know, discarded or trampled upon um, who said his bedside manner was not good, which was quite a, quite a number of people. There was a admiration, maybe a grudging admiration or maybe even just a sort of astonishment like, wow, this guy, you know, built this, uh, this huge network, He has fulfilled Jeff Bezos's dream of controlling the Amazon package from the fulfillment center to the customer's front door. What that allows is so much control over the customer experience. When you see Amazon say, your package will be there from nine to 11, and then the follow-up email, maybe even, that says, we're delayed. It's going to be, you know, sometime early afternoon. That is because Amazon controls its supply chain. Like, that couldn't have happened 10 years ago. When Amazon says it moves, it'll moves it move from two-day delivery to one-day delivery for Prime members, and then the pandemic hits, and it says it's going back to two-day delivery, right? These are all things that are possible because of what, what Clark built. And so, you know, I think it's a portrait of an effective executive who, you know, is is you know is, is is harsh and unrelenting, and that has allowed him to to meet the harsh and unrelenting goals of of his boss, uh, the founder of the company.
0: Yeah, and it, I think it'll be interesting to see how he plays with uh, Jassy and Solitsky. Uh, the Adam Solitsky is the new CEO for AWS. Like this is a completely different dynamic compared to Bezos, Wilty, and Jassy, right? Totally, so, I think you're right. I think you're right, and there's there's
1: also just a natural impulse. Like everyone wants to be do you know everyone probably thinks that they can continue to do their old job in addition to their new job. So, will Jassy give Solipsky room to run and maneuver at AWS? Will Bezos give Jassy room to be the CEO, right? And um, you know, and then and then with with uh, with Dave Clark, he is now the boss of some of his former peers, you know, will, will Doug Harrington um, or any of the other executives who run divisions, you know, like, like, like advertising and the devices business and, and the Alexa business, you know, that one of their peers is now their boss and those create, that can create an uncomfortable dynamic as well.
0: Yeah. And um, so uh, I think we should uh, spend some time talking about uh, Donald Trump. Um, you know, he's, clearly a big piece of Amazon's narrative over the past, you know, four or five years. Uh, there's this mutual animosity between Bezos and Trump. You get into it a lot in the book. Um, you know, it was, was it a good thing that this happened or was it Bezos's fault for, you know, did he lose anything for not fostering a better relationship with Trump or, you know, how, what's the assessment?
1: Yeah, those are really good questions. I think when I finished the book, I thought I might have thought that Bezos, you know, the, he he got off on the wrong foot, right? He and I and I have these emails in the book. Uh it's it's the end of 2015. Donald Trump is campaigning to be president. He's taken shots at everyone, and Bezos enters the fray <laughs> with an email that basically sends Donald to space. Like we, you know, we we you know we're saving you a seat on a Blue Origin rocket, and Jay Carney and some other PR executives at Amazon were asking Jeff not to send those emails, and he he sort of insisted. And I don't know if he was just being protective of the post; I suspect that was it. But maybe there was a little bit of ego there, like everyone else is getting into it with this guy. I I want to I want my turn too, taking taking a shot at him. And then Trump won, you know, which is uh, you know seems like a lifetime ago, uh, but I guess it was five years ago. And, you know, and Bezos gets hammered. Now, he he probably would have gotten hammered anyway, because he owns the Washington Post. The Post does a great job covering the Trump administration. Um, but the, the ramifications of that bitterness are that, you know, Amazon loses the JEDI contract, right? $10 billion, a huge leg up in, in the portion of the cloud business that caters to, to governments and public institutions. Um, huge problems with the post office and, you know, a lot of publicity around just Trump's, you know, bitterness towards the the post and, and Bezos in particular. Now, a lot of what Trump wanted to do never happened. Like, you know, you know, he talked he talked about raising corporate taxes and, and asked why Amazon was paying so few taxes, um, you know, or, you know, made ridiculous claims about the post being a lobbyist for, for Amazon. No, none of that was true. But so recently, um, you know the, the judge in the Jedi case uh, you know ruled that Amazon should con- could be you know it a- should be able to continue to to protest that decision which was awarded to Microsoft, raising the possibility that the Pentagon goes back and 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 rethinks that whole process so it's possible now you know with with the space of a little bit of time and reflection that amazon and and Jeff didn't lose much uh, in terms of their ongoing fight with uh, the Trump administration. You know, probably they would have preferred to be a, fly a little bit under the radar, but I think with with Jeff's ownership of the Washington Post, that was probably going to be impossible.
0: Yeah, I think um, that whole email thread between Bezos and Jay Carney on how to respond to Trump—that was my you know personal favorite part of the book. So um, that was very good. Um, but how how unusual is this? Like for a business leader. To have a like very public uh, tension with the sitting president. I mean, um, you know, there there has to have, like some internal a lot of internal discussions on how this this slowing down the business or you know how to respond to this. Um, anything else? Well, to I, add? I suspect. I suspect it's
1: not unusual for the owners of papers right and and Catherine Graham you know famously tangled with the Nixon administration and this is something that Bezos took on in 2013 when he when he bought the post we can we can look though at the four years of 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 Trump and say Amazon had an extraordinary rate of growth, right? I mean, you know, talk about one of the most fertile periods for any American business almost in history. And, you know, and, and, and part of that was the pandemic in the last year of the, of the Trump administration, but it certainly d- doesn't seem to have slowed Amazon down uh, at all. And you could argue, perversely, probably, that Trump's bungling and mismanagement of the pandemic, you know, which arguably extended it, Helped Amazon, right? Because the pandemic has been, you know, almost a grotesque boost to its bottom line at a time when people were scared of shopping in stores.
0: Yeah, and uh, since you bring up the the Washington Post, um, and you dedicate a whole chapter on 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 that topic too, but I'm still trying to understand why Bezos bought the Washington Post. I mean, it's maybe it's uh, he really believes in a free press, but Uh, At the same time, he's, you know, for someone who believes in free press, he's very unfriendly to the press, too. Um, (laughs) Isn't isn't that a funny little paradox? Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, why what's the true reason for this? Why does he want it so bad?
1: Right. Well, I mean, first of all, it was circumstance. Right. Don Graham was looking to sell The Washington Post in 2013. The paper was in a kind of perpetual decline. Um, They didn't have the finances to truly make it a national newspaper and he went out looking for a savior. He had a personal relationship with, with Bezos, you know. so a, a lot of it was simply circumstance. But I, you know, I, and I think, and yes, I think Jeff appreciated and, and, and saw the, the post and the opportunity for what it, what it was. You know, maybe in the back of his mind, you know, thought about the influence in having the post and Amazon's future tra- trajectory, that would be important. But I also think that, and hopefully this comes out in the book, that one of his, his talents, one of his interests, is not just invention, but it's creating a system of invention. What are the mechanisms and the meetings and the papers and the rituals that can encourage businesses to do new things and to, and to grow? And he had been very successful in creating a system of invention at Amazon not at all successful creating one at Blue Origin. We could talk about that. But I think that with the post, he saw a kind of broken institution where he could come in and kind of work his magic, the documents, the meetings, bring me new things, you know, and, and apply his thinking to a really valuable American institution and help turn it around. And he has done that, right? The the renaissance at the Post under Marty Baron and now soon his successor, maybe even by the time this has aired, has has been remarkable. And Bezos' system of invention worked really well there.
0: I agree. Um, and uh, we should probably talk a little bit about Hollywood. Um, I think in your book, uh, you make it clear that Bezos relish the limelight. Uh, there's a part where uh, you say McKenzie was having a good time at these parties, but Bezos was having a great time, right? Um, and what, what, was this a good decision on Bezos? Like, it ultimately led to a lot of personal issues and, you know, tabloid and, you know, all these stuff kind of you know, the the move into Hollywood kind of uh, instigated that, but you know, right. what's your thoughts? I think it's easier to look at these things, not you know,
1: to look back and ask the big question, why 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 did Jeff Bezos go to Hollywood? Um, why is Amazon funding movies and TV shows? But to follow the the chain of events, so really quickly, okay? So Amazon's biggest category of sales in the 2000s is, is media, books, movies, and music. Music goes away because of the iPod and, and iTunes and now online music. Um, they see that, they rush out the Kindle uh, to, to make sure it doesn't happen in books. Well, DVD sales are going down, What so right? I mean, that, that's a 20-year trend, and Netflix is, is rising. So what does Amazon do? It creates a video store where you can download uh, movies and TV shows. That model starts to fray. Now it's streaming. You have to pay billions of dollars to license Friends or Seinfeld. That's competitive. Netflix and Amazon are competing to do that. They're enriching the movie studios. How do you get out of this battle uh, for, for just paying for content? You make your own. Right, it's it's cheaper, and this is going back to the days of HBO and Showtime. Everyone has figured this out. It's it's cheaper, and more effective, and you you have more of a hold on your customers when you make your own programs instead of just licensing them. And so Amazon gets into into that business, and yeah, Bezos ends up loving it. He gets he's surrounded by celebrities. He goes to parties with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and people are. And here's the crazy thing: you have a big tent full of stars, and everyone's orbiting around him, right? Because it's 2015, 2016. He's one of the wealthiest people in the world. He's an icon. Steve Jobs has passed away. He represents American innovation and ingenuity. And look, he's human. And I think he really enjoyed that. And you make the point that, and we don't know if this contributed to to the end of their marriage, but certainly Mackenzie did not seem to enjoy it as much. Jeff loved going to the award shows and Jimmy Kimmel starts making fun of him. He loves it, right? He's laughing. And so, yeah, not only was it a strategic bet and it aligned very nicely with his personal geekiness, you know, science fiction and 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 fantasy. He, you know, he he they bought The Lord of the Rings. Who knows if that's going to be good or not. Um uh but, you know, he loves the attention and it's his eyes start to open up along with the posts and all these other things into this larger world beyond Amazon. And then the last really quick thing about this is it was also smart to bundle it in as a benefit for Prime members. If we we think that today Prime is still just shipping, right, that's all it is, two-day or one-day shipping. Well, you know, there's a, a fulfillment center outside of San Francisco, right? They probably get that stuff to us in one or two days anyway. And so Bezos brings Prime Video into the bundle of Amazon Perks and and then all sorts of other things join it: Amazon Music and Photos, and they're not competing head to head with Netflix anymore, right? Prime uh, Prime Video, you know, you almost think of it as free, but it's bundled into that hundred nineteen dollar annual Prime membership. And um, Amazon has a, a seat at the table in this revolution in media, so it was very smart. It was very strategic, and then it did have all sorts of consequences for for Jeff and and his personal life as well.
0: Yeah. And uh, you bring a lot of characters to life in this book, um, people that I only read about. And um, one of the uh, interesting executives uh, was Doug Harrington. Um, And uh, he runs the marketplace, you know, deals with the sellers. I think uh, this uh, internal report you found uh, titled Amazon's Future is Crap. And, you know, Harrington kind of... uh, urges the the, the executive teams to look into selling groceries and you know that kind of inspired Bezos to even ultimately buy Whole Foods right um and I thought it was really interesting that Bezos said you know this one really made me think so can you kind of talk about that whole process Harrington and you know the move into groceries so let me give a little bit of
1: context the paper that you're talking about is at an executive retreat in maybe I think 2012. And all the this is another mechanism in the Bezos system of, of invention. They're all required to bring papers presenting or pitching a new idea. And then they all sit there in silence reading them. And and then afterwards, Jeff picks up Doug's, Amazon's futurist crap, and says, This one made me think. Well, some more, some more history. Doug comes from Webvan, the famous dot com flameout that tried to tried to deliver groceries. It went on a business. It didn't work. But he always thought the idea was good and he he joined Amazon. They started Amazon Fresh in 2007. It limped along for a couple of years and Bezos never really invested in it. He thought other things like Alexa and the Fire Phone and China and India were more were more important. So then in 2012, Doug brings this paper and it argues that I'm going to summarize. That people are buying things from Amazon once a week, once every other week, but at Walmart or at Kroger or at Telfor, um, they're they're going there multiple times a week to buy food. And that customer relationship, even though it's unprofitable and, and crap stands for can't realize a profit or it's very low margin, is creates a strong bond with the customer. And if those retailers ever get into the Amazon business and figure out how to do e-commerce, it could be very dangerous and disruptive. And Jeff says, this made me think. And he begins to authorize more ambitious investments, larger investments, more ambitious projects in groceries. And so they expand Amazon Fresh, doesn't quite work. They try uh, Prime Now, a kind of two-hour delivery service in New York. It expands, but my sense was it always lost money. And they introduced the ghost store, the the cashierless grocery store, and they go on a journey. And Bezos tends to think about things as land rushes and um, you know, kind of long-term opportunities. He always thought groceries was more of a long-term opportunity. And then a couple of things start to happen. Google introduces Google Express. Instacart starts to get, get very popular. And finally, he realizes this is a land rush. He has to get serious about it. Whole Foods in 2017 was in trouble. It was being attacked by activist investors. And then they went and made that purchase. And now Amazon's opening up its own supermarkets all over the place. And look, partly thanks to the pandemic, it, I think online grocery shopping really has caught on. So yeah, Doug, uh, I think by virtue of his experience, his war wounds at, uh, at, at Webvan was pretty in, integral in helping Amazon kind of get the religion and catch up in, the,
0: in that category. Um, I also want to spend some time on, on blue origin, uh, since that's where Bezos presumably is going to spend a lot of his time going forward. Um, you know, it sounds like based on your book, he, he there's, were some hiccups or mismanagement, um, you know, uh, some rivalry with Elon Musk, jealousy played into it. Um, you know, what's kind of, uh, your assessment, what's kind of, uh, Track record, basically, with Blue Origin.
1: I mean, so far, right? They don't. They don't have a lot to show for it. Jeff is investing, or he's selling a billion dollars in Amazon stock every year. He's investing a lot of that in, into Blue Origin. Um, it's a twenty-year-old company, and they haven't met any of their goals yet. You know, we're speaking uh, during a week when Blue Origin might start selling tickets to New Shepard, the suborbital spacecraft. Um, but meanwhile, SpaceX is launching rockets into orbit to the International Space Station, seemingly every week. And yeah, I mean, I think that to to put it succinctly, Jeff thought he could go slow. He said, be the tortoise, not the hare, step by step, uh, ferociously. That's the motto of Blue Origin. And, you know, when you're the conservative guy at the poker table, and you have a whole strategy, that strategy is sometimes blown up when the ambitious and maybe reckless guy shows up and and starts betting on everything and 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 look, I mean, Elon shows up. He he skips suborbital to go into orbit uh, with uh, with his rockets and the go- gut and it, it works. And the government starts basically paying him, you know, to giving him these big contracts uh, to build his company. And Jeff is personally funding it. And I don't know if it's jealousy, but I do think rivalry is an accurate word. You know, he's personally spending all this money and Elon is getting, quote, paid to practice. And so he does, he changes the orientation of Blue Origin. He starts hiring a lot more people. He starts setting ambitious goals instead of step-by-step ferociously, a lot of overlapping initiatives. And I do think, and my sense is, and I think this is in the book, that it's really helped to seed a little bit of a dysfunctional culture there. They're still trying to figure it out. You know, maybe later this year, they'll start sending tourists into into suborbital space, and it'll be a tremendous uh, triumph and success. But so far, I don't think he has a lot to show for it.
0: And um, before we run out of time, um, so what's, I guess this is going to be one of the last questions, but um, what is Bezos's legacy since he's stepping down? Um you know, he's still going to be engaged. Um, he's not retiring. But um, how will history remember Bezos as Amazon's CEO? That's a good one, Eugene.
1: <laughs> Tempted to ask you to go first. Um, look, I mean, I think that a, a lot of it might might actually is, be yet to play out. I think that we will we'll see some kind of antitrust case against Amazon in the years ahead. I think we'll we'll see a, um, you know, a re- regulation as, as governments try to grapple with some of the paradoxes of the Amazon model, the fact that it's a platform for sellers and a seller, the fact that um, you know, it sells private label products in competition with and sometimes using the data of some of its independent sellers you know, the stories that sellers are telling now about Amazon are not uniformly good, right? There's a lot of consternation there. Um, and, you know, we look back and we look at a Rockefeller, um, you know, and that's colored a little bit by by the government action. But let's acknowledge that uh, and say, you know, we'll acknowledge that the legacy, you know, is still not yet completed um, and, and might have some asterisks next to it. But we'll put that aside and say, you know, and to give Jeff credit and say that, it's likely, with uh, with um, the passage of time, that a lot of the negativity is going to is going to is going to fade, and we will be left thinking about someone who revolutionized business and, in the span of twenty years, built a company that has changed the world in a, in a number of ways—not just online shopping, but uh, e- uh, reading and voice computing and enterprise computing. You know the way governments operate and and companies and and research institutions, and. You know, I think I really do think the only comparison is Steve Jobs in terms of the number of industries that he has changed. And and who knows? I mean, he might end up doing more um, The you know, with respect to space and Blue Origin. You know, that that would be a tremendous accomplishment if, if, you know, that company is successful. But I think, you know, as an innovator and as a business builder, there's lots of room to criticize Jeff and Amazon. But in, in those respects, you know, it's he I think he'll stand as one of the great business leaders of our time.
0: Great. Well, um, I think uh, that's all the questions I have. And um, well, thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. Uh, I learned a lot. Uh, It's a great book again. Um, uh, But uh, looking forward to uh, continuing conversation. Thanks, Eugene. Good to talk to you. Thanks for listening to C-SPAN's Afterwards podcast. You might be interested
1: in another C-SPAN podcast, Plus. Like our long running program, Brian Lamb has wide ranging conversations with authors and historians. The 30 minute podcast is available every Tuesday. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.